Section 29 of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rome by Emil Zola, translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter 15, Part 1. It was nearly daybreak when Pierre fell asleep, exhausted by emotion and hot with fever. And at nine o'clock, when he had risen and breakfasted, he at once wished to go down into Cardinal Bocanera's rooms, where the bodies of Dario and Benedetta had been laid in state, in order that the members of the family, its friends and clients, might bring them their tears and prayers. Whilst he breakfasted, Victorine, who, showing an active bravery amidst her despair, had not been to bed at all, told him of what had taken place in the house during the night and early morning. Donna Serafina, proved that she was, had again made an attempt to have the bodies separated, but this had proved an impossibility, as rigor mortis had set in, and to part the lovers it would have been necessary to break their limbs. Moreover, the cardinal, who had interposed once before, almost quarrelled with his sister on the subject, unwilling as he was that any one should disturb the lovers' last slumber, their union of eternity. Beneath his priestly garb there coursed the blood of his race, a pride in the passions of former times. And he remarked that if the family counted two popes among its forerunners, it had also been rendered illustrious by great captains and ardent lovers. Never would he allow anyone to touch those two children, whose dolorous lives had been so pure and whom the grave alone had united. He was the master in his house, and they should be sewn together in the same shroud and nailed together in the same coffin. Then, too, the religious service should take place at the neighbouring church of San Carlo, of which he was cardinal priest and where again he was the master. And if needful, he would address himself to the Pope, and such being his sovereign will, so authoritatively expressed, everybody in the house had to bow submissively. Donna Serafina at once occupied herself with the laying out. According to the Roman custom, the servants were present, and Victorine, as the oldest and most appreciated of them, assisted the relatives. All that could be done in the first instance was to envelope both corpses in Benedetta's unbound hair, thick and odorous hair, which spread out into a royal mantle, and they were then lain together in one shroud of white silk, fastened about their necks in such wise that they formed but one being in death. And again the cardinal imperatively ordered that they should be brought into his apartments and placed on a state bed in the centre of the throne room, so that a supreme homage might be rendered to them as to the last scions of the name, the two tragic lovers with whom the once resounding glory of the Bocaneros was about to return to earth. The story which had been arranged was already circulating through Rome. Folks related how Dario had been carried off in a few hours by infectious fever, and how Benedetta, maddened by grief, had expired whilst clasping him in her arms to bid him a last farewell. And there was talk, too, of the royal honours which the bodies were to receive, the superb funeral nuptials which were to be accorded them as they lay clasped on their bed of eternal rest. All Rome, quite overcome by this tragic story of love and death, would talk of nothing else for several weeks. Pierre would have started for France that same night, eager as he was to quit the city of disaster where he had lost the last shreds of his faith, but he desired to attend the obsequies, and therefore postpones his departure until the following evening and thus he would spend one more day in that old crumbling palace near the corpse of that unhappy young woman to whom he had been so much attached and for whom he would try to find some prayers in the depths of his empty and lacerated heart when he reached the threshold of the cardinal's reception rooms he suddenly remembered his first visit to them 
they still presented the same aspect of ancient princely pomp falling into decay and dust the doors of the three large anterooms were wide open and the rooms themselves were at that early hour still empty in the first one the servants anteroom there was nobody but giacomo who stood motionless in his black livery in front of the old red hat hanging under the baldacchino where spiders spun their webs between the crumbling tassels in the second room which the secretary formerly had occupied abbe paparelli the train-bearer was softly walking up and down whilst waiting for visitors and with his conquering humility his all-powerful obsequiousness he had never before so closely resembled an old maid whitened and wrinkled by excess of devout observances finally in the third anteroom the anticamera nobile where the red cap lay on a credence facing the large imperious portrait of the cardinal in ceremonial costume there was don vigilio who had left his little work-table to station himself at the door of the throne-room and there bow to those who crossed the threshold and on that gloomy winter morning the rooms appeared more mournful and dilapidated than ever the hangings frayed and ragged the few articles of furniture covered with dust the old woodwork crumbling beneath the continuous onslaught of termites and the ceilings alone retaining their pompous show of gilding and painting however pierre to whom abbe paparelli addressed a profound bow in which one divined the irony of a sort of dismissal given to one who was vanquished felt more impressed by the mournful grandeur which those three dilapidated rooms presented that day conducting as they did to the old throne-room now a chamber of death where the two last children of the house slept their last sleep what a superb and sorrowful gala of death every door wide open and all the emptiness of those over-spacious rooms void of the throngs of ancient days and leading to the supreme affliction the end of a race the cardinal had shut himself up in his little workroom where he received the relatives and intimates who desired to present their condolences to him whilst donna serafina had chosen an adjoining apartment to await her lady friends who would come in a procession until evening and pierre informed of the ceremonial by victorine had in the first place to enter the throne-room greeted as he passed by a deep bow from don vigilio who pale and silent did not seem to recognize him a surprise awaited the young priest he had expected such a lying in state as is seen in france and elsewhere all windows closed so as to steep the room in night and hundreds of candles burning round a catafalco whilst from ceiling to floor the walls were hung with black drapery he had been told that the bodies would lie in the throne-room because the antique chapel on the ground floor of the palazzo had been shut up for half a century and was in no condition to be used whilst the cardinal's little private chapel was altogether too small for any such ceremony and thus it had been necessary to improvise an altar in the throne-room an altar at which masses had been said ever since dawn masses and other religious services were moreover to be celebrated all day long in the private chapel and two additional altars had even been set up one in a small room adjoining the anticamera nobile and the other in a sort of alcove communicating with the second anteroom and in this wise priests franciscans and members of other orders bound by the vow of poverty would simultaneously and without intermission celebrate the divine sacrifice on those four altars the cardinal indeed had desired that the divine blood should flow without pause under his roof for the redemption of those two dear souls which had flown away together and thus in that morning mansion through those funeral halls the bells scarcely stopped tinkling for the elevation of the host whilst the quivering murmur of latin words ever continued 
and consecrated wafers were continually broken and chalices drained in such wise that the divine presence could not for a moment quit the heavy atmosphere all redolent of death on the other hand however pierre to his great astonishment found the throne room much as it had been on the day of his first visit the curtains of the four large windows had not even been drawn and the grey cold subdued light of the gloomy winter morning freely entered under the ceiling of carved and gilded woodwork there were the customary red wall hangings of brocatelle worn away by long usage and there was the old throne with the armchair turned to the wall uselessly waiting for a visit from the pope which would never more come the principal changes in the aspect of the room were that its seats and tables had been removed and that in addition to the improvised altar arranged beside the throne it now contained the state bed on which lay the bodies of benedetta and dario amidst a profusion of flowers the bed stood in the centre of the room on a low platform and at its head were two lighted candles one on either side there was nothing else nothing but that wealth of flowers such a harvest of white roses that one wondered in what fairy garden they had been culled sheaves of them on the bed sheaves of them toppling from the bed sheaves of them covering the step of the platform and falling from that step onto the magnificent marble paving of the room pierre drew near to the bed his heart faint with emotion those tapers whose little yellow flamelets scarcely showed in the pale daylight that continuous low murmur of the mass being said at the altar that penetrating perfume of roses which rendered the atmosphere so heavy filled the antiquated dusty room with a spirit of infinite woe a lamentation of boundless mourning and there was not a gesture not a word spoken save by the priest officiating at the altar nothing but an occasional faint sound of stifled sobbing among the few persons present servants of the house constantly relieved one another four always standing erect and motionless at the head of the bed like faithful familiar guards from time to time consistorial advocate morano who since early morning had been attending to everything crossed the room with a silent step and the air of a man in a hurry and at the edge of the platform all who entered knelt prayed and wept pierre perceived three ladies there their faces hidden by their handkerchiefs and there was also an old priest who trembled with grief and hung his head in such wise that his face could not be distinguished however the young man was most moved by the sight of a poorly clad girl whom he took for a servant and whom sorrow had utterly prostrated on the marble slabs then in his turn he knelt down and with the professional murmur of the lips sought to repeat the latin prayers which as a priest he had so often said at the bedside of the departed but his growing emotion confused his memory and he became wrapped in contemplation of the lovers whom his eyes were unable to quit under the wealth of flowers which covered them the clasped bodies could scarcely be distinguished but the two heads emerged from the silken shroud and lying there on the same cushion with their hair mingling they were still beautiful beautiful as with satisfied passion benedetta had kept her divinely gay loving and faithful face for eternity transported with rapture at having rendered up her last breath in a kiss of love whilst dario retained a more dolorous expression amidst his final joy and their eyes were still wide open gazing at one another with a persistent and caressing sweetness which nothing would ever more disturb o oh god was it true that yonder lay that benedetta whom he pierre had loved with such pure brotherly affection he was stirred to the very depths of his soul by the recollection of the delightful hours which he had spent with her she had been so beautiful so sensible yet so full of passion and he had indulged in so beautiful a dream 
that of animating with his own liberating fraternal feelings that admirable creature with soul of fire and indolent air in whom he had pictured all ancient rome and whom he would have liked to awaken and win over to the italy of tomorrow he had dreamt of enlarging her brain and heart by filling her with love for the lowly and the poor with all present-day compassion for things and beings how he would now have smiled at such a dream had not his tears been flowing yet how charming she had shown herself in striving to content him despite the invincible obstacles of race education and environment she had been a docile pupil but was incapable of any real progress one day she had certainly seemed to draw nearer to him as though her own sufferings had opened her soul to every charity but the illusion of happiness had come back and then she had lost all understanding of the woes of others and had gone off in the egotism of her own hope and joy did that mean then that this roman race must finish in that fashion beautiful as it still often is and fondly adored but so closed to all love for others to those laws of charity and justice which by regulating labour can henceforth alone save this world of ours then there came another great sorrow to pierre which left him stammering unable to speak any precise prayer he thought of the overwhelming reassertion of nature's powers which had attended the death of those two poor children was it not awful to have taken that vow to the virgin to have endured torment throughout life and to end by plunging into death on the loved one's neck distracted by vain regret and eager for self-bestowal the brutal fact of impending separation had sufficed for benedetta to realize how she had duped herself and to revert to the universal instinct of love and therein again once more was the church vanquished therein again appeared the great god pan mating the sexes and scattering life around if in the days of the renaissance the church did not fall beneath the assault of the venuses and hercules then exhumed from the old soil of rome the struggle at all events continued as bitterly as ever and at each and every hour new nations overflowing with sap hungering for life and warring against a religion which was nothing more than an appetite for death threatened to sweep away that old holy apostolic roman and catholic edifice whose walls were already tottering on all sides and at that moment pierre felt that the death of that adorable benedetta was for him the supreme disaster he was still looking at her and tears were scorching his eyes she was carrying off his chimera this time twas really the end rome the catholic and the princely was dead lying there like marble on that funeral bed she had been unable to go to the humble the suffering ones of the world and had just expired amidst the impotent cry of her egotistical passion when it was too late either to love or to create never more would children be born of her the old roman house was henceforth empty sterile beyond possibility of awakening pierre whose soul mourned such a splendid dream was so grieved at seeing her thus motionless and frigid that he felt himself fainting he feared lest he might fall upon the step beside the bed and so struggled to his feet and drew aside then as he sought refuge in a window recess in order that he might try to recover self-possession he was astonished to perceive victorine seated there on a bench which the hangings half concealed she had come thither by donna serafina's orders and sat watching her two dear children as she called them whilst keeping an eye upon all who came in and went out and on seeing the young priest so pale and nearly swooning she at once made room for him to sit down beside her ah he murmured after drawing a long breath may they at least have the joy of being together elsewhere of living a new life in another world 
victorine however shrugged her shoulders and in an equally low voice responded oh live again monsieur l'abbé why when one's dead the best is to remain so and to sleep those poor children had enough torments on earth one mustn't wish that they should begin again elsewhere this naive yet deep remark on the part of an ignorant unbelieving woman sent a shudder through pierre's very bones to think that his own teeth had chattered with fear at night-time at the sudden thought of annihilation he deemed her heroic at remaining so undisturbed by any ideas of eternity and the infinite and she as she felt he was quivering went on what can you suppose there should be after death we've deserved a right to sleep and nothing to my thinking can be more desirable and consoling but those two did not live murmured pierre so why not allow oneself the joy of believing that they now live elsewhere recompensed for all their torments victorine however again shook her head no no she replied ah i was quite right in saying that my poor benedetta did wrong in torturing herself with all those superstitious ideas of hers when she was really so fond of her lover yes happiness is rarely found and how one regrets having missed it when it's too late to turn back that's the whole story of those poor little ones it's too late for them they are dead then in her turn she broke down and began to sob poor little ones poor little ones look how white they are and think what they will be when only the bones of their heads lie side by side on the cushion and only the bones of their arms still clasp one another ah may they sleep may they sleep at least they know nothing and feel nothing now a long interval of silence followed pierre amidst the quiver of his own doubts the anxious desire which in common with most men he felt for a new life beyond the grave gazed at this woman who did not find priests to her fancy and who retained all her beauceron frankness of speech with the tranquil contented air of one who has ever done her duty in her humble station as a servant lost though she had been for five-and-twenty years in a land of wolves whose language she had not even been able to learn ah yes tortured as the young man was by his doubts he would have liked to be as she was a well-balanced healthy ignorant creature who was quite content with what the world offered and who when she had accomplished her daily task went fully satisfied to bed careless as to whether she might never wake again however as pierre's eyes once more sought the state bed he suddenly recognized the old priest who was kneeling on the step of the platform and whose features he had hitherto been unable to distinguish isn't that abbe pisoni the priest of santa brigida where i sometimes said mass he inquired the poor old man how he weeps in her quiet yet desolate voice victorine replied he has good reason to weep he did a fine thing when he took it into his head to marry my poor benedetta to count prada all those abominations would never have happened if the poor child had been given her dario at once but in this idiotic city they are all mad with their politics and that old priest who is none the less a very worthy man thought he had accomplished a real miracle and saved the world by marrying the pope and the king as he said with a soft laugh poor old savant that he is who for his part has never been in love with anything but old stones you know all that antiquated rubbish of theirs of a hundred thousand years ago and now you see he can't keep from weeping the other one came too not twenty minutes ago father lorenzo the jesuit who became the contesina's confessor after abbe pisoni and who undid what the other had done yes a handsome man he is but a fine bungler all the same a perfect killjoy with all the crafty hindrances which he brought into that divorce affair 
i wish you had been here to see what a big sign of the cross he made after he had knelt down he didn't cry he didn't he seemed to be saying that as things had ended so badly it was evident that god had withdrawn from all share in the business so much the worse for the dead victorine spoke gently and without a pause as if it relieved her to empty her heart after the terrible hours of bustle and suffocation which she had spent since the previous day and that one yonder she resumed in a lower voice don't you recognize her she glanced towards the poorly clad girl whom pierre had taken for a servant and whom intensity of grief had prostrated beside the bed with a gesture of awful suffering this girl had just thrown back her head a head of extraordinary beauty enveloped by superb black hair la pierrina said pierre ah poor girl victorine made a gesture of compassion and tolerance what would you have said she i let her come up i don't know how she heard of the trouble but it's true that she is always prowling round the house she sent and asked me to come down to her and you should have heard her sob and entreat me to let her see the prince once more well she does no harm to anybody there on the floor looking at them both with her beautiful loving eyes full of tears she's been there for half an hour already and i had made up my mind to turn her out if she didn't behave properly but since she's so quiet and doesn't even move she may well stop and fill her heart with the sight of them for her whole life long it was really sublime to see that ignorant passionate beautiful pierina thus overwhelmed below the nuptial couch on which the lovers slept for all eternity she had sunk down on her heels her arms hanging heavily beside her and her hands open and with raised face motionless as in an ecstasy of suffering she did not take her eyes from that adorable and tragic pair never had human face displayed such beauty such a dazzling splendor of suffering and love never had there been such a portrayal of ancient grief not however cold like marble but quivering with life what was she thinking of what were her sufferings as she thus fixedly gazed at her prince now and forever locked in her rival's arms was it some jealousy which could have no end that chilled the blood of her veins or was it mere suffering at having lost him at realizing that she was looking at him for the last time without thought of hatred for that other woman who vainly sought to warm him with her arms as icy cold as his own there was still a soft gleam in the poor girl's blurred eyes and her lips were still lips of love though curved in bitterness by grief she found the lovers so pure and beautiful as they lay there amidst that profusion of flowers and beautiful herself beautiful like a queen ignorant of her own charms she remained there breathless a humble servant a loving slave as it were whose heart had been wrenched away and carried off by her dying master people were now constantly entering the room slowly approaching with mournful faces then kneeling and praying for a few minutes and afterwards retiring with the same mute desolate mien a pang came to pierre's heart when he saw dario's mother the ever beautiful flavia enter accompanied by her husband the handsome jules laporte that ex-sergeant of the swiss guard whom she had turned into a marquis pontefiori warned of the tragedy directly it had happened she had already come to the mansion on the previous evening but now she returned in grand ceremony and full mourning looking superb in her black garments which were well suited to her massive juno-like style of beauty when she had approached the bed with a queenly step she remained for a moment standing with two tears at the edges of her eyelids tears which did not fall then at the moment of kneeling she made sure that jules was beside her and glanced at him as if to order him to kneel as well 
they both sank down beside the platform and remained in prayer for the proper interval she very dignified in her grief and he even surpassing her with the perfect sorrow-stricken bearing of a man who knew how to conduct himself in every circumstance of life even the gravest and afterwards they rose together and slowly betook themselves to the entrance of the private apartments where the cardinal and donna serafina were receiving their relatives and friends five ladies then came in one after the other while two capuchins and the spanish ambassador to the holy see went off and victorine who for a few minutes had remained silent suddenly resumed ah there's the little princess she's much afflicted too and no wonder she was so fond of our benedetta pierre himself had just noticed celia coming in she also had attired herself in full mourning for this abominable visit of farewell behind her was a maid who carried on either arm a huge sheaf of white roses the dear girl murmured victorine she wanted her wedding with her artilio to take place on the same day as that of the poor lovers who lie there and they alas have forestalled her their wedding's over there they sleep in their bridal bed celia had at once crossed herself and knelt down beside the bed but it was evident that she was not praying she was indeed looking at the lovers with desolate stupefaction at finding them so white and cold with a beauty as of marble what had a few hours sufficed had life departed would those lips never more exchange a kiss she could again see them at the ball of that other night so resplendent and triumphant with their living love and a feeling of furious protest rose from her young heart so open to life so eager for joy and sunlight so angry with the hateful idiocy of death and her anger and affright and grief as she thus found herself face to face with the annihilation which chills every passion could be read on her ingenuous candid lily-like face she herself stood on the threshold of a life of passion of which she yet knew nothing and behold on that very threshold she encountered the corpses of those dearly loved ones the loss of whom racked her soul with grief she gently closed her eyes and tried to pray whilst big tears fell from under her lowered eyelids some time went by amidst the quivering silence which only the murmur of the mass nearby disturbed at last she rose and took the sheaves of flowers from her maid and standing on the platform she hesitated for a moment then placed the roses to the right and left of the cushion on which the lovers heads were resting as if she wished to crown them with those blossoms perfume their young brows with that sweet and powerful aroma then though her hands remained empty she did not retire but remained there leaning over the dead ones trembling and seeking what she might yet say to them what she might leave them of herself for evermore an inspiration came to her and she stooped forward and with her whole deep loving soul set a long long kiss on the brow of either spouse ah the dear girl said victorine whose tears were again flowing you saw that she kissed them and nobody had yet thought of that not even the poor young prince's mother ah the dear little heart she surely thought of her atilio however as celia turned to descend from the platform she perceived la pierina whose figure was still thrown back in an attitude of mute and dolorous adoration and she recognized the girl and melted with pity on seeing such a fit of sobbing come over her that her whole body her goddess-like hips and bosom shook as with frightful anguish that agony of love quite upset the little princess and she could be heard murmuring in a tone of infinite compassion calm yourself my dear calm yourself be reasonable my dear i beg you then as la pierina thunderstruck at thus being pitied and succoured 
began to sob yet more loudly so as to create quite a stir in the room Celia raised her and held her up with both arms for fear lest she should fall again and she led her away in a sisterly clasp like a sister of affection and despair lavishing the most gentle consoling words upon her as they went follow them go and see what becomes of them victorine said to pierre i do not want to stir from here it quiets me to watch over my two poor children a capuchin was just beginning a fresh mass at the improvised altar and the low latin psalmody went on again while in the adjoining antechamber where another mass was being celebrated a bell was heard tinkling for the elevation of the host the perfume of the flowers was becoming more violent and oppressive amidst the motionless and mournful atmosphere of the spacious throne room the four servants standing at the head of the bed as for a gala reception did not stir and the procession of visitors ever continued men and women entering in silence suffocating there for a moment and then withdrawing carrying away with them the never-to-be-forgotten vision of the two tragic lovers sleeping their eternal sleep pierre joined celia and la pierina in the anticamera nobile where stood don vigilio the few seats belonging to the throne-room had there been placed in a corner and the little princess had just compelled the work-girl to sit down in an armchair in order that she might recover self-possession celia was in ecstasy before her enraptured at finding her so beautiful more beautiful than any other as she said then she spoke of the two dead ones who also had seemed to her very beautiful endowed with an extraordinary beauty at once superb and sweet and despite all her tears she still remained in a transport of admiration on speaking with la pierina pierre learned that her brother tito was at the hospital in great danger from the effects of a terrible knife thrust dealt him in the side and since the beginning of the winter said the girl the misery in the district of the castle fields had become frightful it was a source of great suffering to everyone and those whom death carried off had reason to rejoice celia however with a gesture of invincible hopefulness brushed all idea of suffering even of death aside no no we must live she said and beauty is sufficient for life come my dear do not remain here do not weep any more live for the delight of being beautiful then she led la pierina away and pierre remained seated in one of the armchairs overcome by such sorrow and weariness that he would have liked to remain there for ever don vigilio was still bowing to each fresh visitor that arrived a severe attack of fever had come on him during the night and he was shivering from it with his face very yellow and his eyes ablaze and haggard he constantly glanced at pierre as if anxious to speak to him but his dread lest he should be seen by abbe paparelli who stood in the next anteroom the door of which was wide open doubtless restrained him for he did not cease to watch the train-bearer at last the latter was compelled to absent himself for a moment and the secretary thereupon approached the young frenchman you saw his holiness last night he said and as pierre gazed at him in stupefaction he added oh everything gets known i told you so before well and you purely and simply withdrew your book did you not the young priest's increasing stupor was sufficient answer and without leaving him time to reply don vigilio went on i suspected it but i wished to make certain ah that's just the way they work do you believe me now have you realized that they stifle those whom they don't poison he was no doubt referring to the jesuits however after glancing into the adjoining room to make sure that abbe paparelli had not returned thither he resumed and what has monsignor nani just told you but i have not yet seen monsignor nani was pierre's reply oh i thought you had 
he passed through before you arrived if you did not see him in the throne-room he must have gone to pay his respects to donna serafina and his eminence however he will certainly pass this way again you will see him by and by then with the bitterness of one who was weak ever terror-smitten and vanquished don vigilio added i told you that you would end by doing what monsignor nani desired with these words fancying that he heard the light footfall of abbe paparelli he hastily returned to his place and bowed to two old ladies who just then walked in and pierre still seated overcome his eyes wearily closing at last saw the figure of nani arise before him in all its reality so typical of sovereign intelligence and address he remembered what don vigilio on the famous night of his revelations had told him of this man who was far too shrewd to have labelled himself so to say with an unpopular robe and who withal was a charming prelate with thorough knowledge of the world acquired by long experience at different nunciatures and at the holy office mixed up in everything informed with regard to everything one of the heads one of the chief minds in fact of that modern black army which by dint of opportunism hopes to bring this century back to the church and all at once full enlightenment fell on pierre he realized by what supple clever strategy that man had led him to the act which he desired of him the pure and simple withdrawal of his book accomplished with every appearance of free will first there had been great annoyance on nanny's part on learning that the book was being prosecuted for he feared lest its excitable author might be prompted to some dangerous revolt then plans had at once been formed information had been collected concerning this young priest who seemed so capable of schism he had been urged to come to rome invited to stay in an ancient mansion whose very walls would chill and enlighten him and afterwards had come the ever-recurring obstacles the system of prolonging his sojourn in rome by preventing him from seeing the pope but promising him the much desired interview when the proper time should come that is after he had been sent hither and thither and brought into collision with one and all and finally when every one and everything had shaken wearied and disgusted him and he was restored once more to his old doubts there had come the audience for which he had undergone all this preparation that visit to the pope which was destined to shatter whatever remained to him of his dream pierre could picture nani smiling at him and speaking to him declaring that the repeated delays were a favour of providence which would enable him to visit rome study and understand things reflect and avoid blunders how delicate and how profound had been the prelate's diplomacy in thus crushing his feelings beneath his reason appealing to his intelligence to suppress his work without any scandalous struggle as soon as his knowledge of the real rome should have shown him how supremely ridiculous it was to dream of a new one at that moment pierre perceived nani in person just coming from the throne-room and did not feel the irritation and rancour which he had anticipated on the contrary he was glad when the prelate in his turn seeing him drew near and held out his hand nani however did not wear his wonted smile but looked very grave quite grief-stricken ah my dear son he said what a frightful catastrophe i have just left his eminence he is in tears it is horrible horrible he seated himself on one of the chairs inviting the young priest who had risen to do the same and for a moment he remained silent weary with emotion no doubt and needing a brief rest to free himself of the weight of thoughts which visibly darkened his usually bright face then with a gesture he strove to dismiss that gloom and recover his amiable cordiality well my dear son he began you saw his holiness yes monseigneur yesterday evening and i thank you for your great kindness in satisfying my desire nani looked at him fixedly and his invincible smile again returned to his lips 
you thank me i can well see that you behaved sensibly and laid your full submission at his holiness's feet i was certain of it i did not expect less of your fine intelligence but all the same you render me very happy for i am delighted to find that i was not mistaken concerning you and then setting aside his reserve the prelate went on i never discussed things with you what would have been the good of it since facts were there to convince you and now that you have withdrawn your book a discussion would be still more futile however just reflect that if it were possible for you to bring the church back to her early period to that christian community which you have sketched so delightfully she could only again follow the same evolutions as those in which god the first time guided her so that at the end of a similar number of centuries she would find herself exactly in the position which she occupies today no what god has done has been well done the church such as she is must govern the world such as it is it is for her alone to know how she will end by firmly establishing her reign here below and this is why your attack upon the temporal power was an unpardonable fault a crime even for by dispossessing the papacy of her domains you hand her over to the mercy of the nations your new religion is but the final downfall of all religion moral anarchy the liberty of schism in a word the destruction of the divine edifice that ancient catholicism which has shown such prodigious wisdom and solidity which has sufficed for the salvation of mankind till now and will alone be able to save it tomorrow and always pierre felt that nani was sincere pious even and really unshakable in his faith loving the church like a grateful son and convinced that she was the only social organization which could render mankind happy and if he were bent on governing the world it was doubtless for the pleasure of governing but also in the conviction that no one could do so better than himself oh certainly said he methods are open to discussion i desire them to be as affable and humane as possible as conciliatory as can be with this present century which seems to be escaping us precisely because there is a misunderstanding between us but we shall bring it back i am sure of it and that is why my dear son i am so pleased to see you return to the fold thinking as we think and ready to battle on our side is that not so in nani's words the young priest once more found the arguments of leo thirteen desiring to avoid a direct reply for although he now felt no anger the wrenching away of his dream had left him a smarting wound he bowed and replied slowly in order to conceal the bitter tremble of his voice i repeat monseigneur that i deeply thank you for having amputated my vain illusions with the skill of an accomplished surgeon a little later when i shall have ceased to suffer i shall think of you with eternal gratitude monsignor nani still looked at him with a smile he fully understood that this young priest would remain on one side that as an element of strength he was lost to the church what would he do now something foolish no doubt however the prelate had to content himself with having helped him to repair his first folly he could not foresee the future and he gracefully waved his hand as if to say that sufficient unto the day was the evil thereof will you allow me to conclude my dear son he at last exclaimed be sensible your happiness as a priest and a man lies in humility you will be terribly unhappy if you use the great intelligence which god has given you against him then with another gesture he dismissed this affair which was all over and with which he need busy himself no more and thereupon the other affair came back to make him gloomy that other affair which also was drawing to a close but so tragically with those two poor children slumbering in the adjoining room ah he resumed that poor princess and that poor cardinal quite upset my heart never did catastrophe fall so cruelly on a house no 
no it is indeed too much misfortune goes too far it revolts one's soul just as he finished a sound of voices came from the second ante-room and pierre was thunderstruck to see cardinal sanguinetti go by escorted with the greatest obsequiousness by abbe paparelli if your most reverend eminence will have the extreme kindness to follow me the train-bearer was saying i will conduct your most reverend eminence myself yes replied sanguinetti i arrived yesterday evening from frascati and when i heard the sad news i at once desired to express my sorrow and offer consolation your eminence will perhaps condescend to remain for a moment near the bodies i will afterwards escort your eminence to the private apartments yes by all means i desire every one to know how greatly i participate in the sorrow which has fallen on this illustrious house then sanguinetti entered the throne room leaving pierre quite aghast at his quiet audacity the young priest certainly did not accuse him of direct complicity with santo bono he did not even dare to measure how far his moral complicity might go but on seeing him pass by like that his brow so lofty his speech so clear he had suddenly felt convinced that he knew the truth how or through whom he could not have told but doubtless crimes become known in those shady spheres by those whose interest it is to know of them and pierre remained quite chilled by the haughty fashion in which that man presented himself perhaps to stifle suspicion and certainly to accomplish an act of good policy by giving his rival a public mark of esteem and affection the cardinal here pierre murmured despite himself nanny who followed the young man's thoughts in his childish eyes in which all could be read pretended to mistake the sense of his exclamation yes said he i learnt that the cardinal returned to rome yesterday evening he did not wish to remain away any longer the holy father being so much better that he might perhaps have need of him although these words were spoken with an air of perfect innocence pierre was not for a moment deceived by them and having in his turn glanced at the prelate he was convinced that the latter also knew the truth then all at once the whole affair appeared to him in its intricacy in the ferocity which fate had imparted to it nanni an old intimate of the palazzo bocconera was not heartless he had surely loved benedetta with affection charmed by so much grace and beauty one could thus explain the victorious manner in which he had at last caused her marriage to be annulled but if don vigilio were to be believed that divorce obtained by pecuniary outlay and under pressure of the most notorious influences was simply a scandal which he nanni had in the first instance spun out and then precipitated towards a resounding finish with the sole object of discrediting the cardinal and destroying his chances of the tiara on the eve of the conclave which everybody thought imminent it seemed certain too that the cardinal uncompromising as he was could not be the candidate of nanni who was so desirous of universal agreement and so the latter's long labour in that house whilst conducing to the happiness of the contesina had been designed to frustrate donna serafina and cardinal pio in their burning ambition that third triumphant elevation to the papacy which they sought to secure for their ancient family however if nanni had always desired to balk this ambition and had even at one moment placed his hopes in sanguinetti and fought for him he had never imagined that bocanera's foes would go to the point of crime to such an abomination as poison which missed its mark and killed the innocent no no as he himself said that was too much and made one's soul rebel he employed more gentle weapons such brutality filled him with indignation and his face so pinky and carefully tended 
still wore the grave expression of his revolt in presence of the tearful cardinal and those poor lovers stricken in his stead believing that sanguinetti was still the prelate's secret candidate pierre was worried to know how far their moral complicity in this baleful affair might go so he resumed the conversation by saying it is asserted that his holiness is on bad terms with his eminence cardinal sanguinetti of course the reigning pope cannot look on the future pope with a very kindly eye at this nani for a moment became quite gay in all frankness oh said he the cardinal has quarrelled and made things up with the vatican three or four times already and in any event the holy father has no motive for posthumous jealousy he knows very well that he can give his eminence a good greeting then regretting that he had thus expressed a certainty he added i am joking his eminence is altogether worthy of the high fortune which perhaps awaits him pierre knew what to think however sanguinetti was certainly nani's candidate no longer it was doubtless considered that he had used himself up too much by his impatient ambition and was too dangerous by reason of the equivocal alliances which in his feverishness he had concluded with every party even that of patriotic young italy and thus the situation became clearer cardinals sanguinetti and boccanera devoured and suppressed one another the first ever intriguing accepting every compromise dreaming of winning rome back by electoral methods and the other erect and motionless in his stern maintenance of the past excommunicating the century and awaiting from god alone the miracle which would save the church and indeed why not leave the two theories thus placed face to face to destroy one another including all the extreme disquieting views which they respectively embodied if boccanera had escaped the poison he had none the less become an impossible candidate killed by all the stories which had set rome buzzing while if sanguinetti could say that he was rid of a rival he had at the same time dealt a mortal blow to his own candidature by displaying such passion for power and such unscrupulousness with regard to the methods he employed as to be a danger for everyone monsignor nani was visibly delighted with this result neither candidate was left it was like the legendary story of the two wolves who fought and devoured one another so completely that nothing of either of them was found left not even their tails and in the depths of the prelate's pale eyes in the whole of his discreet person there remained nothing but redoubtable mystery the mystery of the yet unknown but definitively selected candidate who would be patronized by the all-powerful army of which he was one of the most skilful leaders a man like him always had a solution ready who then who would be the next pope end of section twenty nine